As I mentioned on the last episode of the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, growing up, my sister had a classic 90s teal colored bedroom. She also adorned her walls with artwork and posters, like a black and white poster of Nirvana. And when she discovered the band Bush, whose popularity skyrocketed in the 1990s, guess who was all over the back of her door? Its lead singer, Gavin Rossdale, who was plastered all over the entirety of her door. Every square inch of her dark wooden door was covered. In addition to Rolling Stone covers and magazine article cutouts, my sister also took pictures of Gavin Rossdale being interviewed on TV, had them printed, and those two were added to her collage. She was completely and utterly infatuated with him, as I'm sure many other teenagers were in the 1990s. He was, and is, incredibly talented, passionate about music, and very easy on the eyes. He also had longer, wavy hair and an intense stare. My sister was in love. With that being said, on today's show, we will be discussing the 1990s alternative music powerhouse that was, and still is, Bush. You will learn all about the band's early days, their explosion onto the music scene, and what they're up to today. So grab your ripped jeans, your electric guitar, and a chain to hook your wallet to your pants. Here we go. And thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, a show inspired by and in memory of my big sister, Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places and things of the 1980s, 1990s and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I'm your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for selecting this show. I hope you dig it. And if you're a long-term listener, thanks for continuing to join me on this journey that has lasted over a year at this point. It's just crazy. You are tuning into episode number 36, Bush, the British phenomenon that was blasting on many a boombox and car stereo in the 1990s. But before we get into the band itself, let's briefly discuss its members and how it came to be. And as I came to find out, as I sort of expected... Most information out there is about Gavin Rossdale, but he is extremely attractive, so it makes sense. Anyways, Gavin Rossdale was born in late October of 1965 or 1967. Lots of conflicting information out there, but he was born in the mid to late 60s. He was born in Marylebone in London, England. His birth name is Gavin McGregor Rossdale. His father's name is Douglas Rossdale. He was a doctor, and his mother's name is Barbara Steffen. She was a former model. Ah, the mystery is now solved as to where Gavin Rossdale got his stunningly handsome good looks. Anyways, when Rossdale was very little, he reportedly didn't speak much until he was four years old. Growing up, Rossdale developed a passion for music and learned to play the bass guitar from his sister's boyfriend. After he graduated from high school, some reports say he dropped out, again, conflicting information. Other sources said that he finished. 
Rossdale frequented dance clubs and formed a band called Midnight. The band released two singles, but neither of them managed to go very far. Later, Rossdale met Nigel Polesford, who was born on April 11, 1961, from a band called the Pixies at a London club. He, too, played the guitar, and the duo formed a band called Future Primitive. Rossdale would be the lead singer of the band and rhythm guitarist. They would later add Robin Goodridge, who was born on September 10, 1966, on drums, and bassist Dave Parsons, who was born in 1964. Robin Goodridge actually helped to push the previous drummer of the band out. Out from the drum kit, that is. That was stupid. Apparently, during a performance one evening, Goodridge noticed the band's drummer was not that engaging and the audience was just wasn't that interested in him. So he walked backstage and told Rossdale that their drummer was boring and that he apparently sucked. That's That was a quote. And next thing you know, Goodridge was the drummer. During the day, Gavin, Nigel, and Robin worked as painters and played music by night. They were hoping to make it big someday. Eventually, Future Primitive changed their name to Bush. The band's name is short for Shepherd's Bush, which is a London suburb where a few of the original Bush members are from. They mailed demo tapes all over Britain and the United States. One radio station in L.A. began playing Everything Zen. This was a song that would put Bush on the map. In the song, the lyrics talk about everything from whether or not Elvis is dead to people who claim to be very selfless and giving people when in actuality they are not very kind. The momentum was building. 16 Stone was recorded during January and February of 1994. After experiencing some delays, it was released in December of that year on Trauma and Interscope Records. Some of the most well-known hits on this album include Glycerine, Machine Head, and Come Down, and the aforementioned Everything Zen. I made the mistake of suggesting music from Bush be played in the background while my dad and I got tattoos of my sister's distinctive signatures on our wrists. I think I forget sometimes just how much music can take you back and remind you of someone or a certain time in your life. I was instantly transported to my adolescence, and nothing quite encapsulates my memory of my sister in her early teen years like the music of Bush does. She loved the 16 Stone album. Loved it. I was on the verge of turning into a blubbery mess for the duration of the art being inked on my arm, both because I'm a baby and because I'm very sentimental. But the distraction of the horrible noise from the tattoo gun prevented me from traveling too far down memory lane and going into what I call the ugly cries in front of a stranger. Anyways, following their debut album, the band was jabbed by critics who said that not only was the band too pretty, but that they also sounded a lot like Nirvana. Perhaps this had to do with the fact that Bush was the first British band to make it big following the end of Nirvana's run after Kurt Cobain, the band's lead singer, passed away in April of 1994 and make it big. Did they ever? One million copies of 16 Stone were sold by the summer of 1995, and by the summer of 1996, five million copies had been sold. Bush tried to combat their reputation for being too pretty by hiring a more progressive and edgier producer for their second album, Razorblade Suitcase, which was released in 1996. Unfortunately, they were still criticized, but not as bad as their first album. One thing I was reminded of during my research for the show is that included with the purchase of the Razorblade Suitcase album was that it included a CD-ROM, which of course my sister had. Compatible with Windows 95, 
The CD-ROM allowed you to listen to unreleased music, watch music videos and interviews, and also allowed you to view photos of the band, which I'm sure my sister did a lot of. Every time you returned to the main page of the CD-ROM, you could hear a few instrumental lines of music from the song Greedy Fly, which was one of the most popular songs from this album. My sister used the CD-ROM all the time on our humongous Gateway 2000 computer, and I could tell that she was as I heard Greedy Fly playing over and over again. Some of the most popular songs from this album include Greedy Fly, which we just talked about, Swallowed, and Bone Driven. Some music experts say that Razorblade Suitcase is the last major grunge album of the 1990s. It has sold over 3 million copies in the United States alone, and it sold about 300,000 copies in its first week of release. Despite their success in the United States, Bush was not nearly as popular in the United Kingdom, which is something the group really struggled with. At the height of their success, Bush was working incredibly hard and would play in some of the largest stadiums and arenas in the United States. I know that my sister saw them live, and it was sold out and just completely crowded. Back at home, though, for them, it was the exact opposite. Instead of arenas, they played at small venues like hole-in-the-wall bars. This striking contrast was a lot for the band to digest. Not feeling supported in their home country was quite hurtful for the band. Later on in his career, Rossdale said he was able to get past this, but it took him a long time to do so. In 1997, Bush released Deconstructed, which was a remix album and featured some songs with more of an electronic sound, which Bush was looking to incorporate more into their music. The popularity of grunge was starting to be on the way out, and electronic music was a lot more popular in Europe. Some of the remixed songs on this album include Swallowed, Everything Zen, and Bone Driven. In 1999, Bush performed at the ill-fated Woodstock 99, which was not even remotely similar to its older sibling, the 1969 Woodstock, which was dubbed Three Days of Peace and Music. Woodstock 1999 should have been called Three Days of Overflowing Porta-Potties, Destruction, and Assaults, because that is exactly what happened. The event was held at Griffith's Air Force Base in Rome, New York. The temperatures were incredibly high during this event, reaching over 100 degrees at times and getting water required a long walk and cost $4 a bottle. Further, the event space was designed to hold about 50,000 people, but at least 350,000 people ended up attending. And if that wasn't enough, in order to get from the east stage to the west stage required a walk of at least a mile. Bush closed out the first day of the chaotic event and supposedly Rossdale crowd surfed. Some of the other performers at this event included Kid Rock, Insane Clown Posse, Korn, Rage Against the Machine, Offspring, and some others that seem a bit out of place, including Moby and Jewel. And let's not forget Creed, who I was incredibly excited to learn played there, as I've always enjoyed impersonating the lead singer. And now that impersonation is very dated, but let's just do it for for fun. With arms wide open, under all the sunlight, welcome to this place, I'll show you everything. I feel like whenever I do that, it kind of sounds like a mix of the singer of Creed, kind of, and Sean Connery, and it kind of doesn't work. But anyways, there you go. And finally, another performer was Limp Bizkit, a band that I thought was pretty awesome when I was in high school 
but in hindsight, they have some of the worst and stupidest lyrics I have ever heard in my entire life. And I listen to a lot of music. Well, not as much anymore, but I've just listened to a lot of music. Anyways, if you need to trigger your memory, which you shouldn't, but you can, look up the lyrics for Nookie, where half of the song is about a cookie and um, shoving it somewhere. Here's a sample, though, from one of their most popular songs called Rollin'. And please forgive me in advance for the language that follows. This is quoting the music. Some of it's not appropriate. Just be advised. Oh, and do note, this song comes from an album entitled Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. I'm not kidding. That is the name of this album, and I owned it, and I'm ashamed of myself. But anyways, here we go. Some of the lyrics from Rollin'. All right, partner. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. Throw your hands up. Ladies and gentlemen, chocolate starfish, keep on rolling, baby. Move in, now move out. Hands up, now hands down. Back up, back up. Tell me what you're going to do now. Breathe in, now breathe out. Hands up, now hands down. Back up, back up. Tell me what you're going to do now. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. What? Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Come on. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Yeah. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Now I know why y'all be loving this shit right here. L-I-M-P. Biscuit is right here. People in the house put them hands in the air. Because if you don't care, then we don't care. One, two, three times two to the six. Jolts in for your fix with a limp biscuit mix. So where the fuck you at, punk? Shut the fuck up and back the fuck up while we fuck this track up. Good stuff. Good stuff. You want to mess with Limp Biscuit? Yeah. You can't mess with Limp Biscuit. Why? Because we get it on. When? Every day and every night. Oh. See this platinum thing right here? Uh-huh. Well, we're doing it all the time. What? So you'd better get some better beats and uh, get some better rhymes. Do. We got the gang set, so don't complain yet. 24-7, never begging for a rain check. Old school soldiers passing up the hot shit. That rock shit and bounce in the mosh pit. Yep. That's a song. It's really very profound. Nothing like rhyming the same two words together. It's it's fantastic. Anyways, let's just say that this song was often blasting in my car as I drove around my neighborhood home as a teenager, but you'll never hear me listening to it now as the thought of hot dog flavored water makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Anyways, during Limp Bizkit's performance, Fred Durst allegedly gave the audience the bird and told them to break things, much like he encourages listeners to do on yet another horrible Limp Bizkit song called, well, break things. And that's exactly what the audience did. They broke show equipment, light fixtures, started small fires, the list goes on and on. And this isn't all just tied to Fred, Fred Durst, um, but it happened during Woodstock. Woodstock was essentially a disaster in every sense of the word, but one cool thing that came out of it was it helped with some of Bush's sluggish album sales for the 1997 album, Deconstructed. 1999 was also a tough year for Bush because Trauma Records filed a lawsuit against Bush to the tune of $40 million for a breach of contract. The record company claimed that the Science of Things album did not come out on time like they had agreed to. They managed to settle out of court, but Bush started eyeing signing with another record company. 2000 saw the release of The Science of Things. 
Rossdale wrote most of the album by himself. He actually retreated to an old mansion in Ireland to write it. Some of the most well-known hits from this album include The Chemicals Between Us and Letting the Cable Sleep. Due to the aforementioned contract disputes, Bush left Trauma Records following the signs of things and signed a lucrative deal with Atlantic Records. Golden State, their first record with a new label, was released in 2001. Unfortunately, the album didn't do very well despite relatively positive reviews. In late 2001, Bush started touring for the album, and in March of 2002, Nigel Pulsford stepped aside from the band as his wife was about to give birth to their child. This started to signal the beginning of the end for the band, and later in 2002, the band, well, disbanded. Between the declining record sales and apparent lack of support from the record label, the group decided it was time to take a step back. They would not reunite again for almost 10 years. Most of the band's members continued working in music. Many had side and solo projects. Rossdale would go on to diversify some of his music production skills. For example, he helped write soundtracks for Zoolander, Constantine, and Little Black Book. He also released his own solo album. Further, Rossdale married punk music queen Gwen Stefani in 2002. They had three children together. Kingston, who was 15, Zuma, who was 12, and Apollo, who was 7. Will celebrities ever, for the love of God, name their children normal names like Bob, Sarah, Susan? Anyone? Anyone? No? Okay. Why? Why such weird names, Gwen and Gavin? Why? Anywho, Rossdale and Stefani stayed married for about 14 years and divorced in 2016. But let's back up for a second. In 2010, Bush announced they were reuniting. Both Nigel Pulsford and Dave Parsons neglected to rejoin the band when the opportunity arose to make new music with their old group. Thankfully, the gaps in the band managed to be filled by some new members, Chris Trainer on lead guitar and Corey Bretz on bass. Sea of Memories was then released in 2011. It was released by their own label, Mad Dog Winston Music. They toured in 2011 and 2012 with um, <clears throat> Nickelback. This is how you remind me of how much I hate Nickelback. What time is it when you are touring with Nickelback? Time to reevaluate whether or not you should continue making music. I kid, I kid, I'm, I'm just joking. The band would release several additional albums after reuniting, including Man on the Run, released in 2014, Black and White Rainbows, released in 2017, and The Kingdom, which was released in 2020 this time with a new drummer, Nick Hughes. Bush had a tour scheduled for 2020, but had to postpone it due to the pandemic. While Gavin Rosdale is now the only remaining member of Bush, the band continues to make music. And thank God they do. I know my sister would still be listening if she could. I hope you have enjoyed this look back at Bush, the British band that erupted into the music scene in the early 1990s with their faces plastered all over MTV when they actually played music videos, God, and magazine covers. Bush has sold more than 20 million records in the United States and Canada alone. They've had six number one singles. Was that ever a number one song? 
Anyways, my sister adored Bush, and I think it's hard to ignore Gavin Rossdale's passionate demeanor and the band's unique and infectious sound. After doing research on the band, I think it's pretty incredible that they have been around for so long despite extreme highs and lows with their popularity, changing record companies and band members, lawsuits, the list goes on and on. I think it's a true testament to how much Rossdale and his bandmates feel they have stories to tell, ones that they want to share with the world. Further, despite making music for almost 30 years, the band knows they can continue to improve and to progress. Rossdale once commented in a recent interview that his band just keeps getting better and better and has said, quote, you're only as good as your last record, end quote. Well said, Mr. Rossdale. Well said. If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Please also rate the show on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll join me for my next show, which I'm super excited about, where we'll be discussing extinct restaurant chains and those that are nearing extinction from the 1980s and 1990s, and perhaps some of the early 2000s as well. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.